Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. I found that people were surprised when I would be like, I've been talking to my coach about XYZ because the nature of the conversation was not always career 101, let's walk through these steps. It was a very human conversation and that was incredibly valuable. In this episode of Your Finest Hour, I, Amanda Jaggard, interview coach and partner David Gerber and his incredible client, Payenda Ekrami. Together, we chat about how a seemingly impossible goal she set for herself in coaching was accomplished in 18 months versus an original 10-year plan. We dive into how dreams are anchors for your goals, her secret sauce for a coaching breakthrough, and the difference between soul line and goal line coaching, a big concept in our work here at Novus Global with our clients. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, I am Amanda Jaggard, and we are here today with Coach David Gerber and his client, Payenda Ekrami. Thank you both for being with us here on Your Finest Hour today. Thank you. Yeah. Payenda, I, um, I'm so excited to have you here. We have heard of you and your success and what you have been up to for a while. And so I'm so excited to get to hear from you today about your experience with coaching and all the fantasticness that is you. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So to kick us off, I would love to hear from you. How did this whole thing start? How did you get introduced to coaching? How did you get introduced to David? Uh, Phyllis, and how did it all start? It was an interesting story, actually. It was a, a story of reluctant conversation at the very beginning. We got introduced to one another through a mutual friend at a random time when I was like, I had resigned from one job um, or was about to resign from one job. I decided I was going to change my career. I knew that I was going to do that regardless of what was going on. I wanted to go from hardware to software. So at this critical moment, um, I was hanging out with this friend of mine and he just happened to get in touch with David. And I ended up meeting David through him. And it wasn't through the context of, coaching or connecting us for work. It was just really like introducing friends to, um, to one another. But I kind of shared my story with David when we first met um, and got to hear just a little bit of his story. But a few months later, I think, David, you reached out to me and asked me if I was open to connecting and if I wanted to have a complimentary session. To which I reluctantly said yes. I only said yes because I'm <laughs> Persian and we are nice and we do this thing called tarot <laughs> where we say yes when we really mean no. So I did the yes no thing <laughs> to be nice. <laughs> to, pa to pause right there, what was the reluctance about? I thought it was going to be like a hard sell on something that I didn't yeah. think I wanted or needed or I, I actually wasn't open to it at all, right? Um, so... Yeah. I felt like I was worried that it was going to be a conversation with a guy that I, I met and seemed really interesting and I could have a great friendship with that was going to just go weird. And that is totally not how it went. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm happy to tell you the rest of the story as we go on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, David asks you, hey, do you want to jump on a call? You give the like, yes, but yes. I don't really want to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, and so, and so then what happens? 
then we set up some time. We were supposed to meet for like about an hour for a like complimentary session. And he told me um, when we talked over the phone, he told me, look, no pressure. Like, I'm not trying to sell you here. I just want to have a conversation, see if there are ways that I can help you. You can see if there are ways that I can be helpful. And if we have a match in that, then it's fantastic. We can work together. If we don't see a match in that, no worries, we'll be friends. So he put my mind at ease before we actually met. And so we had an hour set up. I remember you were at the WeWork in in Oakland. So I drove over and um, we ended up talking for like, I don't know, I think more than two hours. It was a long, long conversation. And I got so much value out of that first conversation. It was it was not what I expected. I mean, I, I have like this perception that I know what I'm doing and I'm the coach for everyone. What are you talking about? And I like that conversation made it clear that regardless of where you are in your career, regardless of what's going on in your you know, personal life, personal achievements, all of that stuff aside from a career perspective, having a coach alongside you can be helpful simply because it brings a different perspective. Like yeah. if nothing else, you can be the smartest person on the planet but a different perspective is always invaluable. And having the ability to have that from someone who is kind of like a therapist, but for your career and life is really, really, um, yeah. really, really valuable. So I was blown away with that first conversation. And then from there, it was the difficult job of figuring out how to make myself say no. And I failed at that. <laughs> it, was, it was going to be a yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to go back to that conversation because I think that there is some value there to look at. Like, What was so valuable about those two hours? You said you came in, you know, I, I, I know a lot. I'm a coach <laughs> for other people. Like I have this, you know, I have this figured out. What was so disruptive about that conversation for you uh, that shifted things? I wish I had thought of digging out my notebook. There was this little notebook that I was carrying around with me and it had like all of my thoughts during that time when I was thinking like soul searching and switching jobs. I have like the notes from that session written into it. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember that it was along the lines of having like the courage to step out of whatever it was that I wanted to leave behind. It, w- it was a tough time for me, right? I just yeah. had my dad pass away. So I was like broken. Um, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out now that I'm broken, I'm going to put myself back together. I know that I can do that. Yeah. But as I'm doing that, I'm going to figure out what I want my legacy to be and start working towards that. Yeah. There's no more of this, like, I'm just going to chase money. I'm just going to chase X, Y, Z. Yes. It's going to be, I'm going to... Today is the first day of building towards my my legacy yes. on the professional front as well as the pr- personal front. That seemed insane to me. I'm a very thoughtful person with every step that I take. So the step of emotionally saying I'm done with doing things as I've always done them and do something differently yeah. was a difficult one. And I think the conversation was along yeah. the lines of the courage to do that, the things that might be challenges that I might encounter how I could recover from those. It was like general, much more higher level stuff than that. It wasn't like, let's goal set for your next step in your career. It was philosophic conversations. And I loved it because it was with someone who had no vested interest in whatever the outcome Mm -hmm. was, right? So he could be impartial. And he wasn't one of my coworkers. And when you're talking to your, I always had coworkers that I could lean on, but they have their own perspective of what's broken here and what might be different elsewhere. So it was really 
inspiring. And I came home and I told my boyfriend, Nate, I told him, I was like, that was not what I expected. Here are like the insights that I got from it. I feel like I already got like thousands of dollars worth of value out of one conversation that is like helping me kind of settle into the decision that I'm making. And that was kind of the start of considering maybe, maybe there's something to this coaching thing with Dave. Coaching thing with Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Dave, I would love to, to ask you, do you remember that conversation? What do you remember about it and the value that was there? Yeah. From from what I remember, it was, we talked a lot about the ROI conversation Mm -hmm. and what would make it really worth it from a financial perspective? Because one of our goals is always to, if at all possible, can the coaching pay for itself, 2X, 3X, 4X, and then you get everything else thrown in. And and so there was, I remember there being a part of the uh, conversation was that, um, and then it was either that conversation or the next one where I feel like we really tapped into the deeper purpose for it, right? Payanda, where we went to, you're right, you're right. right. The first conversation I think was actually over the phone. The second one was the one that I came in. Yeah. You're right. We got into like, let's say you hit all these numbers and you do really, really well. It's like, what does that mean? Why does that matter to you? And that's where we got into the desire to own a home in San Francisco to be able to host people with a backyard. Mm -hmm. And and I started to see Panda dream at a different level. So it wasn't just I'm out there trying to hit sales numbers and quotas and things like that. It was a bigger overarching thing, which then flavored the entire coaching contract that we worked together where we could go come back to that when things got difficult with whether it was conflicts internally at the company she was working at or limitations she was seeing or avoidances she was having. It was always we come back to why this all mattered. It was this big dream that Payanda had um, of owning a home in SF. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that's really interesting. The first conversation that was like the reluctance conversation that like he put my mind at ease. Yeah. I like have this conversation with people that I come across that I feel could benefit from coaching. I just thought it was going to be so outside of my reach, even if it was helpful. Like once I thought it might actually be helpful, I thought it was going to be so expensive that it wouldn't make sense. Like I would have to invest half of my salary in coaching. And I think that's a perception a lot of people have that when you say coaching, and especially if you have the word executive coaching <laughs> anywhere near the name of a company you're talking to, they assume you're mm-hmm. spending $100,000 to get coached. And that's not necessarily true. I can understand if you are coaching the CEO of a company and you're delivering $100,000 of value, that's what it will be worth. But when you're coaching someone that is in, in my position, it's it's going to be proportional to what we can accomplish together. It's the it's the value-driven costing or pricing of the engagement. That was a really important conversation to have. I would probably not have given it um, a shot if if he hadn't like tackled that right then and there. Yeah, because after you had the two-hour conversation that radically shifted your life, like that's what I'm hearing, right? Like that even if you, that was the only conversation that you would have had further further with David Gerber, that your life would have shifted thousands of dollars worth of value. So then what was the next, the next conversation? Like what, what happened after that? I think we did the contract thing, right? And then we became um, a coach and coachee. Is that what, what, what I'm called a coachee? <laughs> yeah, coach client, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> client. Yeah. <laughs> That's so then we went into like the actual work and um, we started talking about what are my goals and dreams and aspirations and what are the steps that I can take to move towards them. And it's really interesting because my goals and aspirations were things that I thought were 
impossible. I thought home ownership in San Francisco, impossible. Being the best salesperson this company has, impossible. So I set those goals thinking, this is my 10-year plan. We're going to like set my 10-year plan and start working on it. But as we worked on it, it became more and more obvious that things that seemed like they were in the distant future could actually be brought forth with the right kind of focus. And given the job that I had, right, I, I, I'm in sales, I make commission. And with commission, you can change your life, you know, one year to the next 180 yeah. degrees. So I'd love to get clear on what exactly were the things that were impossible. And then I'm wondering why were those things seeming impossible to you? So anytime somebody asks me, what, what is your goal for the next year or two? Like after I start a job, I always want to become the go-to person at the company for something. It doesn't have to be for everything, but I want to be excellent at something so that not only am I delivering value to my team, but also to my company and helping uplift yeah. other people, right? I really care about that. So that was an easy one to put in there. And it was one that I'd done so many times before. I knew it was going to be a breeze. Yeah. I knew that I could just take the steps that I'd taken and get there. Which we would say, we would say like for that, you probably wouldn't need to hire a coach for that. Like you've done it exactly. before, you know how to do it. That's not what you hire a coach for. You, you, you can do exactly. that. You'll, you're just fine. Exactly. So the next stuff was how do I excel at it? I'm being pulled in so many different directions. And, and the company that I work yeah. for, Anaplan, is growing at a rapid pace. And sometimes tools, systems, support structures are not keeping up with how fast we're growing. Yeah. So as a result, you have to figure a lot of things out on your own and pave your own way into conversations. Yeah. So that makes it really overwhelming. Um, when you're constantly being driven to do a whole bunch uh, of things and in order yeah. to do each one of those things, you have to go figure a lot of other things out. So I had okay. this mental block thinking because things were difficult at that time because I was new to the role. I was yes. new to the company. I was new to the industry. Everything was new. I felt like it was going to take me a very long time to become good at any of the things that I needed to do. Yep. So the whole, like, am I going to have the numbers to show for yes. my success in addition to being the person that folks go to for answers seemed like a question mark. I'm a very touchy-feely salesperson. I don't care about closing a transaction. I think transactions close themselves when you have the right conversations yes. and you deliver value. And that's not salesy, right? That was a different way of doing things. And I wasn't sure if it was going to work or not, but I knew that to keep with that legacy thing, that was the only way I was going to yeah. work. So I needed support that these things that I was doing, they were the right things that I could continue doing them, how I could appease folks that needed me to put in activity in addition to the value that I was delivering to my customers. Yes. And then the goals were, so the number delivery was one goal. Am I going to hit my target? How am I going to hit yes. my target? It doesn't seem feasible. Um, how am I going to navigate all of these, yes. the chaos and survive in this new environment and this role that I think I was built for, but I need to still figure it out. The only financial thing that I really cared about was having my own nest in yes. the city that I want to live in. My boyfriend wants to live in San Francisco. I like it also. So it seemed like San Francisco was going to be the place, but obviously San Francisco prices were way out of our reach. So the only, I think, quantitative target that we had was this whole, you know, make money to make that dream come true. Because Dave has this thing about you can't make your goals be yep. hit the target because that doesn't have enough 
emotional juice in it to pull you out of those dark times when you need it. You need to have this bigger vision that is your dream sitting outside of that so that that dream is anchoring what you're doing. And when you are having those lows, you can look totally, up at it, be yeah. excited, get excited and inspired and start putting work towards it. And for you, that was a house in San Francisco. That was a house in San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> um, Grover, I would love to hear from you how Payenda's impossible visions were occurring to you as she's sharing, this is what I want to accomplish. Yeah. Well, so I remember, so when I, when I was poking around beyond like the numbers and sales things, uh, what, what she wanted. And when she said, I want to, I want to buy a house in San Francisco, I was a little bit like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you might have to get somebody else to help you with that because it, <laughs> it is, I know like I've known so many friends in San Francisco that, um, like made very good money and just tried for six months to get a place in San Francisco and couldn't, and then gave up for a while. I had to take like a break from it. And so I remember when she first said that I was like, I, I'm, I'm a eternal optimist. And I was like, oh man, this is a, this is a big one. And I was like, okay, so let's, let's just, let's go for it. Right. Let's pretend let's live in a, let's live in a world where it's, where it's possible. Um, but I remember being kind of like, oh man, here we go. And I, I love um, that part of the story because I think a lot of times as coaches, sometimes it's the the client we're, we're poking around to help people have bigger dreams and visions that are impossible because they come with a vision like, uh, I want to be the go-to person in the company. It's like, I think that you'd probably do that anyway. Um, you know, or sometimes they come with these visions that feel impossible to us. And we're like, oh, gosh, <laughs> it's never in the middle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so I love that piece of it. Once you connected to your why, you connected very deeply and richly to this vision that seemed impossible. You had no idea how you were going to achieve it, but it mattered to you and you were willing to put a stake in the ground and to take a stand of this is what I want and I want to partner with you to help me accomplish this for myself and create it for myself and, and my family and all the things. Yes, absolutely. Here's a, an easy example of how I would not have thought to make that part of my goal. Yeah. Like for me, Personal life and aspirations were in a different category than my career aspirations. I knew the career aspirations would eventually enable those things, yeah. but they were not things that I was stacking on top of one another. Uh, so when I say like working with a coach will give you a different perspective, it can be something as simple as this, just aligning the things that you care about, stacking them in a way that it makes it impossible for you to think of that end point without tripping over the thing that you need to accomplish. So you are going to accomplish it, right? Yeah. And, and I love what you're saying there even too. I think sometimes people separate the personal and professional. And if I'm working with a co I only need to either address like the professional side of things, but there wasn't a separation for you because it was all intertwined of this life that you wanted to create for yourself. Exactly. And I think this is actually one of the ways that I think um, Dave is pretty unique on. Our conversations were not a hundred percent like career conversations. We yes. had human conversations. Some of it was thoughts yes. and aspirations. Some of it was human pain and humiliation. Some of it was human joy and, you know, mm. just incredible experiences that we were, we were sharing with one another. But I found that people were surprised when I would be like, I've been talking to my coach about X, Y, Z, because the nature of the conversation was not always like, 
career 101, let's walk through these steps. It was a very human conversation. And that for me, at least, that was incredibly valuable. Yeah. Sometimes we'll call that the difference between soul coaching and goal coaching. So we'll have like goal Mm -hmm. coaching, which is, you know, set the goal, set the vision. What are the action steps? What's the strategy that, but the soul coaching, I love how you said it, a human conversation of what is going on in your internal world with your mind and your emotions. I found as a coach, it's really hard to accomplish great things without holding both of those together. Had you, just as a question, had you ever had spaces in your life where you were having those types of soul conversations before? Yeah, I'd done a bunch of therapy before. And this yeah. is, I think, the other part of my hesitation for going into coaching. In my yeah. mind, I thought, if I want to figure out what the heck is going on with me, I'll just go see a therapist. I already know that works, right? Yeah. Um, but there's something, again, like once I went through the experience, I realized that there's definitely a difference between your therapist and your coach. If you have a therapist, don't dump him or her. <laughs> I, I love mine very these much. Two <laughs> are like, these yes. two are complementary to one another. They're not replacing one another, even though they might have some elements in common. Yeah. What was the difference for you? I mean, yes, doing the work in therapy, what was the difference in working with David as a coach? I mean, I think working through therapy, it's working on making you a more whole human being, right? Whatever, whatever the challenges are that you're going through, they will help heal the wounds and help you see yourself and the world around you in a way that you can respond to it. But again, like back to the conversation of separating career and personal life, it's really difficult to take those same learnings of how I deal with my friends, how I deal with my family, how I deal with difficult situations and translate it into this very emotionally charged career topic that we all are constantly told emotion has nothing, no place in it. You need Mm -hmm. to be rational, especially as a woman Uh, um, working in a male-dominated world. I mean, I was in semiconductors and now I'm in high tech is just all of my peeps are boys. So whether I realize it or not, they realize it or not, there's like in my head, there was this rule of, this is where logic sits and I will be non-emotional about all this stuff. And if I'm ever emotional about anything, that's an absolute failure of me as a professional. Yeah. And then the emotional stuff that I was working on this side with my, with my therapist and in my relationships that were very real and very authentic. And it was fine to be both logical and emotional and my whole human. And I think this experience kind of helped me figure out bringing these two things together is really important. I love how you said therapy is moving you towards wholeness. And I think that coaching oftentimes begins from the perspective that you are whole. You aren't broken. There's nothing wrong. So you are whole, which then what I'm hearing is there, it created this sense of an like an integration of your emotions, your mind, you weren't separating the two, which is like integer, whole, like it's a whole number, right? Like the idea of um, that integration, you being a whole person. And when you showed up as a whole person, you were able to accomplish seemingly impossible things. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that happens with emotions at work, I think is it starts swallowing you up. At least for me, I would go into like, I would have an emotional reaction to something very emotional that had happened. Like it wasn't wrong to have an emotional reaction. I wasn't being crazy. I was having a human reaction to something that had happened. 
And then I would immediately start beating myself up in my head about why I'm being emotional about this thing. I just need to reason it out. It's a logical situation. Why am I doing X, Y, Z? And that becomes, you know, a, a cyclone that is pulling you down. It's not releasing you if you just keep letting it happen. So yeah, I think you're spot on. And Gerber, chime in too. Uh, yeah, what was your experience like in these types of, of conversations? Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest things was um, Panda is such a fierce, like a force of nature, right? And and <laughs> but like, but also is very, very tender. And and so I could see that, mm. that those movements there where as I was paying attention, even using a bit of my intuitive side, I could kind of sense when she'd come on a call, like where she was at, what was going on. And we would ground at certain points in, in at the beginning of calls where it's like, you know, where are you? How's your how's your headspace? How's your you know, where are you at? Um, and what I wanted her to see and I and she took it very well and probably because she had been to therapy as well, but like that her emotions were a gift for her. And how does she yeah. honor those emotions and yeah. and and honor herself in those and then and then allow all of that energy to then be transformed and used for what she wanted to use it for, right? Which was her capacity to really channel that into loving her clients, loving her prospects, trying to find the best deal for people rather than just going out and trying to hit a quota. It was able to channel all of that tons of fierce energy into selling well and finding a great fit for people. So it's like the divided part actually was keeping you from hitting those sales numbers and serving people powerfully. But when you did fully integrate that is when the fullness of who you were began to show up and create the the results. Yeah, absolutely. And still like at work, people comment on how they love my passion. And I'm not always awesome and pleasant to work with, right? I'm a human being. Sometimes <laughs> I'm, I'm not super fun to be around. But all in all, like people can see that my heart is in the right place, that I'm trying really, really hard. Then if I mess up, I work hard to make it up. Like, Showing up as a human makes it possible for other people to show up as as human. And that for me, sitting on the other side of it, what a privilege to get to work with yeah. people in their most authentic human state. So that was like a hidden benefit that, that came about. But yeah. in terms of sales, I think what I take to my customers, it's that that's kind of a unique thing. Like my customers tell me often, you don't sound like a salesperson. You don't seem like a salesperson. And that's a huge compliment to me, not because salespeople are not good. That shows me that the work that I'm putting towards seeing this human being as my brother, my sister, I constantly talk about, if this was your brother, what would you do when we're talking internally about customers, right? That, that yeah. focus um, that I've been putting towards this, loving them as if they are my family, caring for them as if they are my close friends, is, is coming through. And that's a huge source of trust between me and my, my clients. Sometimes I get unfair advantage yeah. because I have that kind of human relationship with them in the process. And again, on the other side of it, what a privilege to have the ability to come across dozens and dozens of people every week and have an opportunity to have an authentic start to a real relationship, not just a transaction that relationship yeah. that will last for decades and decades and decades. Like, it's just incredible. I love that. And where my mind went was just thinking of the mirroring of that and the how you and David even got started, right? Because it was this like, I don't want to be, like you're in sales <laughs> and you didn't want to talk. It's like, a, hey, I don't want a salesy conversation. But because of that connection with David and that is what- I mean, yeah, Dave embodied that approach. Yes. 
that's absolutely yes. true. I think that's what put me at ease and made it possible for me to just like really just consider it instead of worrying about it the, the entire time. That's, that's a very good observation. So I always get so curious when clients love coaching and the, re the relationship, the partnership is just so extraordinary and they're transforming in their life and every area and creating incredible results. I'm like, what has been some of like the secret sauce? I'd love to hear from you and either how you showed up as a client that made this partnership so extraordinary, how Gerber showed up as a coach that made it so extraordinary. I'd love to hear more of the, the secrets that, that made this, this thing work. Um, Dave, do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can jump in. I, I would say I'm always, always interested in how it occurs for the client or whatever you, we would call it coachy. For me, the, the biggest thing was the, the authenticity and the rawness that Payana showed up with yeah. on almost every call, just, just ready to play and kind of throw down and look at whatever limitations were there. Remember a number of times she'd bring conflicts to the calls that she was going through at work and just, just coming ready to play and being in fully engaged and. Um, and I remember there was, there was a couple of conversations we had that were really very difficult. Cause you remember when you fought me on, <laughs> she fought me on some stuff. I fight um, everyone and everything. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> That's how I'm I get to, good ideas. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it was, but I think I, I remember I was leaning in pretty hard on some feedback and, and I know, cause she's a force of nature. I was like, I'm going to go easy on this kind of lean into it. <laughs> she's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was pretty sure at one point she was going to fire me. Uh, <laughs> but I just love that her one is to keep showing up and come up mm -hmm. against whatever limitations were there. And even if I was giving feedback, she didn't agree with to keep playing. So I think there was that. And then the way that, that I show up, like I really care, right? Like I, I went over to dinner at Payanda's house in San Francisco with her and Nate. And I, I was just blown away. I was just so excited for her. Cause remember when she said that and said, this was a 10 year dream. And even the 10-year dream felt impossible. And then here we were 18 months later having dinner, <laughs> uh, one of Nate, Nate's famous hamburgers. And we were we were having dinner in her her house that she had bought. And I was I, I was overwhelmed because again, I thought it was 10 years was impossible. Here we're 18 months and it's it's happened. Yeah. Like they've closed on this place. It's not like mm -hmm. potential or anything like that. This happened. This really happened. And so I'd like kind of pinch myself. And then they we walked down, like Nate's got like a music studio in there. And it's like, so he didn't even just go for oh, we have like a small one bedroom place. It was like, we went for, for it all. And so like, for me, the way I show up is like, I really get invested in the, the client's yeah. world, um, both professionally, but also on a personal level. Cause I want, I tell almost every client, it's like, I want you to call me in three years and not be able to shut up about everything that's yeah. changed in your life. That's what I want to hear. And I want it to like bring them to tears of joy of like, I never imagined this would be possible that's the calls I, I I get so excited about. And so having dinner at Piana's house was just such like, that was like the fullness of everything. I, the, the, the reason behind I, why I do coaching. It um, was so magical. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I was like, it was amazing. I just couldn't <laughs> believe it. And there's like a backyard and she's like, here's a place, you know, if you ever need to come, come here, stay. Here come are the a, you trophies know, I got because I was a top yeah. price salesperson of the oh. year last year. Like it was crazy. We celebrated yeah, everything. Yeah, she had two trophies. <laughs> The two trophies two. or three? I can't remember. It was two. Yeah. So she had two trophies. We took photos in the backyard with these beautiful lights and stuff. And I'm just like, how is this happening? Like, this is so incredible. So that's that's how I showed up. That's how I see Panda <laughs> showing up. Payanda, what is that like for you? Like, you live in the house. Um, like, to, <laughs> to, to, to live this thing that you thought was impossible. 
It, well, first of all, it's incredible, right? Like having having your own mm -hmm. place, your what I call it, my own little nest. Um, anywhere, it doesn't matter if it's in the city or you know in the backwoods of Idaho. It's it's a special experience, right? We have a place that is ours. Um, Nate, the mate, has already drilled a whole bunch of holes in the wall because we can. <laughs> like the freedom that brings. And we are going to get a dog, and that was impossible before. So it changes the way yeah. you show up. We're, we've always been very protective of the homes that we have rented. So we've almost like not lived. Like if somebody moves the chair wrong, yeah. I'm yelling at them for scratching the floor, right? Now it's our floor. I can just replace it if I don't like it, right? Um, or if I, it gets scratched. So the freedom that comes with that is amazing. One of the topics that um, Dave and I actually, it was like a friction topic. And I think it still would be a friction topic just because of my, my own mind block was this whole concept of set big goals. I remember I attended one event that Dave had and it was like a visioning event. And they were talking about the importance of setting big goals because if you set a goal that is 20 times where you need to be, you'll end up at two or three X where, where you need to be, right? That, was, that right. was the thought process. And I very much have this personality of, if I set a goal that is way too high, I'm going to drive myself into the ground. Like I will, I will die uh, and yeah. I, I could potentially die and not get to that. So it's not worth it from a you know, cost and reward perspective. It's yep. really not worth it. But this experience showed psychologically that doesn't work for me. But there's a way around it. Like he was right. I need to have big goals. Maybe my big goal needs to have not a timeline attached to it that I'm going to kill myself for it. But I can still have that big aspirational goal out there and start driving towards it. And when I put like my numbers together now, because we do planning at the beginning of the year and we do quarterly planning and to figure out how I'm going to make my number I have like my own numbers that I set as my goals and they're not 20x where I need to be. It's just like that's debilitating for me, but they are significantly higher than where I want to be. And I was looking at my numbers last year. I had a worst case, likely and best case scenario. And I think I ended up like within 200K of my best case scenario, which was insane because the best yeah, case scenario yeah. was like 2x or 3x the likely number. So I think that yeah. really works whether I like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to be really pragmatic around here and it is yep. it's like based on results, that mindset works. You have discovered. A hundred percent. Oh, I love that. Anything else that's a secret sauce or how you showed up as a client that was powerful, that helped you to create the impossible for yourself? I think something that really helped, like as like the tactical side of things, it was really helpful that I felt comfortable enough with Dave to tell him what I couldn't or didn't want to do. Because then that took yeah. our time together instead of working on things that I just was not either ready to, to pursue or I just yeah. didn't have time for it. Like keeping track of what we are doing, I know it's super important to you guys. I know it's an important part of the process. Talking about like putting in the notes on what I want to talk about next time, how much of it I did. The accountability side of things was really, really important. And I understood that. But there came a time yeah. when I literally didn't have enough time for a bathroom break. And so picking between a bathroom break and putting my goals in, I was going to go to the bathroom, right? And I communicated that to him, like, I really want to do this, but I genuinely don't have time. I don't 
want you to think that I'm not taking this seriously. This is as serious as it comes. I'm spending money on this, yep. but I don't have time to put it in. Can we just take it as is? And Dave is really focused on delivering ROI. So that was another thing where he really encouraged me to think about what, what are the numbers that we want to put together that are going to tell yep. us if we've succeeded or failed. Well, if you looked at the first year's number, we actually failed. Like I got to 50% of the number that we had accomplished because I had a giant deal fall through. But then the next yeah. year, I, I killed it off of the activity that I did that year, right? So for uh, me, like yes. it was actually better that we set just that one number and I didn't really care about it. We set a bunch of touchy-feely goals um, in, in there that I think were the things that I truly needed help with. It was some of these mind blocks that I needed to get removed that are not quantifiable, right? But it yeah. was measurable in, in the way I was showing up at my job, the way I was keeping going. The reason why I had that giant pipeline that I could close the next year is because they've helped me put my fear of prospecting aside helped me get through thinking about how I would tackle these 50,000 different things that were coming at me and I needed to take care of the personalities that I was dealing with, how I could best handle them, the effectiveness that he helped me kind of create within my relationships and within my environment were the catalyst to me killing it the next year and us being able to afford a down payment on a San Francisco home. Sometimes we will use the metaphor of a lazy river Mm -hmm. It works because there's jets underneath the water that is making the water go and you go. And so you can either try to go against the water or you could actually shift the jets and go in a different direction. And so it sounds like you worked on shifting the jets and then the the results and the transformation happened. It was like otherwise it's like you were going against going against the current because the, the jets needed to shift. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, it's interesting. I um, read that book, Good to Great, just about a year ago, not not that long ago. It was one of those books that I was resisting <laughs> for no damn reason. <laughs> so I think the work that we did together, actually, as I was like reading it, a lot of the things that we did were were those foundational things that you need to get done in order to start the flywheel and start helping it accelerate, right? And if you don't have the foundational stuff, you can have a flywheel, but you will start something in it and it will die down and you'll start another thing and it will die down. So I think it was really helpful to have him say, yes, I hear you. We'll just work on the touchy feely stuff, even though it makes it harder for me to show that I delivered ROI because it enabled us to work on those foundational things that otherwise, because they're not quantifiable really, they would be ignored because we'd be going after the results as opposed to the things that enable the results, right? So for me, that was really magical. This flexibility being on the other side was super important. And I want to acknowledge you uh, because I think sometimes the client comes with this, hey, it's your job to tell me what, what to do. Uh, you tell me how this is supposed to go. And it is wonderful when a client shows up and makes powerful requests for what they want. They let you know as the coach, like I'm requesting for you to show up in order to best serve me. This is how I would like for this this to work. Like you, you showed up as your powerful self owning 
the process and making requests that you believed were going to get you results. I would just like to acknowledge you for that. And I think really thank you and and point out to people who are listening, like as you are, like if you ever are a client and working with a coach to, to own the experience for yourself and the value that you want to create and how you are showing up and what that partnership looks like. So that's not just the coach that's defining the relationship, but really you are. That's, that's a great insight. Yep. I agree. Um, Gerber, anything, anything else from you that's, that's coming up? I actually remember one of the biggest resistances we had was, was around when I was giving Panda feedback was around, um, confidence and even like self-esteem stuff. Do you remember that Panda? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this was a, this was a, yeah, this was a tricky one. This was where there was a ton, <laughs> a, a ton of resistance. She did not like me for a few and calls. Still, this is where I think he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I do not kid. Like, okay, so this is this is where it was coming coming from. I was having a lot of fights with my my colleagues because they weren't delivering bare minimum that needed to be delivered. And I was having a lot of conflict. And Dave's point was, you're showing up with a lot of entitlement. And that comes from not having self-esteem to understand like that there is no entitlement to be down to earth. And my whole thing was, no, if you take a job and you keep the job, you got to deliver on that job. It has nothing to do with my self-esteem. If you don't deliver the job, I'm going to fire you. If I can, if I can't, I'm going to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, coaching, what I love, one of my favorite things is like the point of asking a question is rarely to get just an answer. Um, and for me, the point of feedback is rarely just for the feedback's sake. The point of feedback is to see how the other person responds to it and reacts with it and, 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 and interacts yeah. with it. Um, and so it was so fun to see her interaction with it. Cause it usually will throw your brain into a new space. And I loved those conversations because I know a few of them ended like incomplete. I yeah. left the call thinking, I don't know where her brain's going to go for the next week until we <laughs> talk again. <laughs> she may not show up next week. And she kept showing up, which I love because we get, you know, uh, wrestling with this thing. And that's when the brain goes to new spaces. That's when the brain finds its way. I like to think in my fantasy world that I, I changed her brain 1%. <laughs> <laughs> 1% you did. But, but dude, I love that because um, and, and even like Panda, like like he's still not right. Or what I heard you saying was yeah. you weren't giving the feedback to be right. You were giving the feedback with which to have new material to play with that she hadn't so, yeah. had to play with before and to see what emerged. So because I think a lot of times as coaches, we might hold back. Oh, I don't want to get yeah. that feedback because what if I'm wrong? Mm -hmm. But I hear you saying there's a whole other purpose to giving feedback. Yeah, the point of feedback is rarely about the feedback itself. It's about how the client interacts with it, about how the other person yeah. interacts with it. Same like amongst, amongst companies that we work with, when we're deliver having people deliver feedback, they're so worried because like, oh, what if I'm this is too judgy or judgmental or cynical? And it's like, that's not the point. The point is to see how the person responds to it. Just like a question. The point of a question is rarely an answer. Yeah. It's to see how that person interacts with the question and to see what answer they provide. But the answer that they provide or the way they respond to the feedback reveals so much about how they see the world. And are they open 1% yeah. right, to like something that could be greater? And for me with Payanda, it was, well, hey, if, if, if I'm 1% right about this feedback or there's 1% of accuracy in this, could that catapult you into a, a higher level of leadership and sales? That, you know, could, because you know, we always bring it back to the vision. It's like, if, if this was getting in the way between you and owning a home in San Francisco, would you want to know? 
And I think her answer would be, hell yeah, I'd want to know. Um, and I'm still right. <laughs> right. But for me, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, whether I'm right or not, or whether she takes it or not. What matters to me is when I'm having dinner with her at her house in San Francisco, who cares about the feedback? That's really interesting, actually, yeah. David, because you know what that ended up doing for me? Categorically, I think I'm awesome. <laughs> I don't have a self-esteem problem. <laughs> I have maybe a too much self-esteem problem, but not a low self-esteem problem. But the thing of that conversation, so now I can share this with you, understanding that that what you don't care about, like what happens with it, just as long as there's some learning that comes out of it. What I learned out of that was if I am going to continue doing this, I need to insist on having capable people supporting me because otherwise I'm going to waste a bunch of energy. We're going to lose a bunch of deals and I'm going to break a bunch of people. And that's not the point of any of this. And you could argue that I should get better at inspiring people and driving people to higher performance on all of that stuff. And that's an aspirational goal that I have. I'm not there yet. And it's not my function. My function is to support my customers and to do that because I care so deeply um, about my customer's journey and experience. I want to have the best team on my side. And so since then, year two, you were with me, I think, halfway through my second year. But what I started doing was requesting very intently specific people that I, I knew were going to succeed at certain tasks with justification on that and collaborating much better with the teams that I was butting heads with because I understood this now about myself, right? Like, and I wouldn't have figured it out had he not challenged me and I hadn't had the opportunity to say, no, I don't think it's that, but it's something else. Now, what is that something else? And got, got to, you're brilliant. I'm so glad you shared that. <laughs> It's true. We, make, we put that in a quote. <laughs> yes, yes. Dave is brilliant. I'm so glad you just told me uh, that. <laughs> David, is there any other areas of growth that you saw in Pianda? Nope, that's it. That's all <laughs> that's we got. <laughs> you know, I, I did because I saw it even in her relationships personally. There was one funny story about making eggs in the kitchen. Oh, that yes. Pianda. Wonderful story. <laughs> I still need to put that thing up. I think it's in here. Tell the story. Uh, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember the specific details of the story. It I was that I think one time we were on a coaching call and um, Nate, Payana's fiance, Nate, was like making eggs in the kitchen or something. What was? No, I, I know I exactly what the story how it was came about. about. So, one okay, of you my tell biggest, the story. Um, problems is that I'm a perfectionist and it shows up like, I mean, I've already given you three stories about how I'm a perfectionist. So you know that that's true. Um, and I really, really care about doing a good, I can lose as long as we all did our best. I don't care. Like the, the end result doesn't matter as much as the process. Right. And I would stress myself out with anything that would go even slightly in the wrong direction. I still do that. Like it's still a challenge for me. But this wonderful reminder that, <laughs> that we were having this conversation and Dave was telling me, like, who are you trying to prove? And one of the big insights that actually came out of our conversations was, I remember you said this, I think what you are trying to do is earn the right to be called excellent. You already are complete. You already are excellent. What you're doing is just what you're doing. It has nothing to do with it. And that was such a huge aha moment for me. I like, do you remember? I got really emotional yeah. and I realized like all my life, I, I really did believe that 
I needed to earn the respect. Like that this is the way the world should be for everyone. That you earn the right to be respected. You earn the right to be trusted. You earn the right X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And all of that is still valuable to some level. When you feel like you need to earn people's trust, you do all the right things to make sure they have a reason to trust you. So there is a purpose for that. It's still helpful. But understanding that within the context of stress management is really, really helpful. Understanding that I am worthy even if I don't excel, even if I don't have a perfect performance here. Because otherwise, you're just stressing yourself out to death. And the egg thing came about because we were having this conversation. I was all emotional. And I told him, you know, the interesting thing is it's only my job and my relationships that I'm like this with. There are other things I don't care. Like Nate, the mate, is passionate about cooking. So he will pay attention to all the details and will get it right. If he makes eggs, it's going to be the best egg on the planet. If, it's, if he's making steak, it's going to be better than any steakhouse. Like just exceptional attention to detail in everything that he does and he performs perfectly at it. Cooking is at the bottom of my passion list, like below cleaning the toilet. So I don't really care about it. Um, and when I'm cooking, like if I'm cooking eggs, sometimes the yolk breaks and I don't care that it broke. It's still an egg and it's still going to give me energy when I eat it. But Nate totally doesn't understand that. Like that blows his mind and it blows my mind that he doesn't understand. Like what is so different about it? it's fine that it broke. It's still a good thing. It's fine that it's not perfect. And so I don't know where the trophy is that you sent me. It's, it used to be in here. Dave yeah. went ahead and commemorated this in a very special <laughs> way. Why don't you tell the story of what you did? I, so I, I made one of those dictionary pages, Amanda, for Payenda. <laughs> yeah. And the word I choose for her, this is so cheesy, uh, but it was excellent. It's so adorable. <laughs> it has like my picture. <laughs> <laughs> I put her picture on it and um, and it, it had like a definition I wrote up for her, um, for what I saw in her during our coaching time and in her life. Um, and so it was like a really fun story to kind of it commemorate was everything. Great. <laughs> it, was, it was excellent. Excellent story. <laughs> so as we wrap up, Panda, I would love to ask you two final questions. So the first one is, what would you say to anyone who is thinking about possibly partnering with and working with a coach? Um, I'd say show up with an open mind and just see if you have a match in the person you're talking to. And once you have that conversation, like anything else, you will figure out if mm -hmm. it's the right time and the right person for you to engage with. I would also say no matter how smart you are, you are going to be able to get value if you have the right person and you are at the right point in your journey to be able to continue being open and taking feedback. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's important to be at a point of being broken down. So you're just building back up instead of resisting and trying to keep the status quo, mm -hmm. which I think that might not be where people look for career coaches. A lot of ambitious people look for career coaches when they are ready to take the next step. But in all reality, in order to get ready to take the next step, you need to prepare for that step. And a lot of times that preparation is at a downtime, at a low time, which is ideal because you're gonna show up with an open mind and heart to every session. 
I appreciate what you said in that. And it's interesting when you're talking, when we're talking with people, like people will say, this isn't the time to partner with a coach. And in your story, you know, transitioning to, to a new job, that time really worked for you in hiring a coach, a time where you were down and grieving and in a space uh, like like that, it was the perfect time to hire a coach because you decided that it was the perfect time to hire a coach. It, it's interesting. People will say, oh, now is not the time. Now is not the time. But you made it the perfect time to begin partnering with David. The final question is, what is a word of wisdom that you would give to people who are currently working with a coach. You are a client who created value, incredible value. You have a beautiful home. And so what would be a word of wisdom to somebody who is working with a coach? If you already have your coach, maybe the first point is is not really applicable. I think it's really important to find the right person. Um, the reason why it worked so well between Dave and I is because we both had flexibility on both sides. Like we had alignment in our personalities yeah. and our way of thinking and yeah. our way of ad- adjusting to the world as it was changing in front of us. I think yeah. that's really, really important. The second thing I would say is be very clear about what you see as opportunities and challenges. If yeah. you disagree with your coach, it's not the end of the world. Your coach yes. is not God. They're not going to yes. know everything completely as demonstrated by this conversation that we had. But again, with the different perspective that your coach will mm-hmm. provide, they're going to give you nuggets that are going to make you into a more complete, wholesome human being and yes. professional. So, so it's fine to disagree and just yes. explore and grow together. I think that that's fantastic. Again, people show up maybe not thinking that it's their place to challenge, uh, but you're right. That isn't necessarily, it's about coming to agreement or the coach knows everything, but it's in the wrestling and in the challenge that you begin to find what it is that you uh, want to find from that conversation. Yes. And I will add one, one other thing that I thought it was really helpful when we were working together and it was to show up with every session with at least an open heart. Sometimes it's hard to open up the mind yeah. if you're already overwhelmed and you know all of that stuff. It's difficult to start with an open mind sometimes. But if your heart is open, you will have that budding of heads. Like Dave would say mm-hmm. something and I'd be like, I don't understand why X, Y, Z, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then he would offer like one or two more lines. And because my heart was open, it was easy to, like we had yes. so many moments when I was like, hmm, I need to think about that. And that only happened because I had a trusted person across the screen from me. He had no reason to be there other than to care about me, for me, with me, right? Yes. And the second part of it was that I cared what that other perspective was, even if it was a worth perspective from my vantage point. Um, It was helpful to show up with that open heart and get those moments of just aha moments um, together. Yeah. Yeah magical moments. That openness, I think, is what makes the people who do come open are the favorite, our favorite people to work with. Because you're right, that is when incredible, extraordinary things can happen, uh, which is 
exactly what happened here. So uh, Payenda, thank you so much for spending this time with us today and sharing your story. And I appreciate the honesty from both of you, the the partnership that you guys had together. And uh, we celebrate with you of the results that you created and the impossible that you learned that you could create for yourself. And I am excited to see what new impossible things you begin to create even further now that you have realized even just a small piece of what you're capable of. I'm around here. I'll say the best is yet to come. (laughs) Thank you. So I am excited to see what continues to unfold for you in your future. Thank you for being here with us today, Gerber. Also, thank you. And thank you for listening, um, everyone. This concludes today's episode of Your Finest Hour. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance.